Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Campus Safety Voices. I'm Robin Hattersley, Editor-in-Chief of Campus Safety. Tens of thousands of Afghan refugees have resettled across the U.S. over the past year or so, and many American hospitals, institutions of higher education, and other organizations were tasked with providing medical care, housing, and other services to many of the Afghans fleeing their country. Since then, millions of Ukrainian refugees have been forced to flee their homeland due to the Russian invasion of their nation. And about 100,000 Ukrainian refugees will soon be coming to America. Once again, many U.S. campuses will be stepping up to care for these refugees. In light of this development, I reached out to Virtua Health AVP of Environmental Services, Security and Safety, Paul Sarnis, so he could tell us about his organization's experience in helping the refugees from Afghanistan. In my interview with Paul, who is also one of this year's Campus Safety Director of Year finalists, he describes what was all involved in helping Virtua Health's guests from Afghanistan, as well as his biggest challenges and successes with the program. He also gives some sage advice to other campus security practitioners who will be helping the uh, refugees fleeing from the war in Ukraine. So with that, here's my interview with Paul Sarnis. Enjoy the show. Be sure to subscribe to Campus Safety's YouTube channel and like or leave a comment on our videos. Or subscribe to our Campus Safety Voices podcast on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. So, Paul, we know that tens of thousands of Afghan refugees have settled, have resettled across the United States over the past year or so. How has Virtua Health um, been involved in helping them when they arrived in your area? And how many refugees did your organization serve and how are you still serving them? Uh, well, thank you, Rob. That's a great question. So um, our, one of our facilities called Virtual Mount Holly is about 13 miles away from Joint Base uh, McGuire Dix Lakehurst. So we've had some experience in 1999. We uh, took care of several hundred Kosovo uh, refugees. And then again, in 2010, we, we provided services to a lot of Haitian refugees that, that came to the U.S. because of the earthquake and injuries and homelessness. So I guess it was probably mid-August, we received a call from the base that we were being asked to support. Originally, it was called Operation Allies Refuge. And uh, they identified uh, our facilities being the primary facility that would take care of all the emergent and non-emergent care for, for the refugees that were coming. And um, we, we were notified on August 24th. We received our first patient on August 27th. Um, the majority wow. of that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was really good that we got the heads up because we actually, after our first notification, we were able to quickly set up uh, spaces in our facility for that extra surge. So we set up a couple conference spaces uh, for that initial wave of patients that we're expecting and really good, good process. So we were actually getting a phone call from the base before they would transport a patient to us. Uh, each of the refugees was coming with a, a military escort as well as a translator. So that really made our, 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 our process a lot easier. But you know, we had to learn a lot because uh, the refugees were coming with no ID, no known date of birth, um, and really no medical history. So you know, there were some challenges, but you know, overall we took care of over a thousand refugees were, were treated at our virtual Mount Holly facility. Um, and 40% of those refugees were on the base were uh, women and children. 
So we were also part of delivering over 100 um, new US citizens, which was really exciting. <laughs> it was really cool. It was a great experience. Wow, that's great. Well, what was your and your department's role in helping them specifically? So initially, so back in August, you know, we we're just starting to feel the peak or the, actually the, the, the new surge of the Delta variant. So we were, we were knee deep and still managing our surge areas, our surge supplies, space, equipment. Uh, you know, we were still having twice a day calls to deal with the, the, the COVID pandemic. And then, and then this comes, <laughs> comes on top of that. So initially it was really reaching out to the base and making sure that we had all the right contact information. And as you can imagine, you know, taking care of a village, you need a village to take care of a village. So we had to initially, it was all about setting up lines of communication with our first responder community, as well as the base, and then determining, you know, who's on first. Who do we call when this issue comes up? So it was a lot of sharing of, of names and contact information. You know, what was going to be the, the, the chain of command? You know, who was going to make certain decisions? So it was all about setting up those open lines of communication and really looking at kind of like the org chart and, and the incident command system. You know, who, who do we deal with for certain situations? And, and this particular uh, operation started as Operation Allies Refuge, turned into Operation Allies Welcome. And you have to imagine there was federal resources, state resources, county resources, non-government organizations. So our first call, there was over 62 <laughs> agencies that were represented on this call. Wow. And so yeah, so it was really just determining who, you know, who's on first, so to speak, and who do we who are we going to reach out to certain what agency is going to be responsible for for what part of the response. So that was that was really it. It was mostly communication. And because we were still going through the, the, the surge of the, 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 Delta, the Delta variant, you know, we had to make sure that we converted additional space for the surge of, of the refugees, made sure we had additional supplies. Staffing, you know, staff, everybody was having staffing challenges at the time because, you know, employees were being impacted by the variant as well. So we had to maneuver staff from around the organization to support, you know, our, our new guest from Afghan, the Afghanistan that we were going to take care of. So what was all involved in this process? I mean, if, can you give me some specifics? Yeah. So, yes, absolutely. So we, we learned a lot from the, our experience with the Kosovo and then the Haitian refugees. So it, communication was number one, right? So we had to make sure that we had everything translated that, that we needed. Everything had to be translated in three different dialects. So it was, it was Farsi, uh, Duri, as well as Pashto. So we, you know, we had to create welcome signs in three languages. We had to create uh, instructions for how to put a mask on in three languages. We had to uh, post signs on visitation and, and either and even, you know, provide other information and tools for our staff to make sure that we can provide, you know, good care to, to our to our new guests. So we, we did a lot of training and education with our staff, you know, a, a lot of sensitivity cultural sensitivity training. So we were fortunate we had a contact with um, within Doctors Without Borders, as well as the Office of, of, of Refugee and Relocation uh, Resettlement. So we tapped into their uh, sources to really provide our staff with a lot of training and education. You know, besides the language challenge, there was dietary challenges. So we had to make sure we had hollow meals. We had to, the first day, we had to identify space for prayer. And, and we, we quickly ran out and got some disposable prayer rugs. 
um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were providing the best care we could for, for the, our, our guests from Afghanistan, but being very culturally sensitive as well to take care of their needs. And then really the majority of our time was spent education, educating our staff and, uh, and, and making sure that, you know, they, they heard some horrific stories from, from the refugees that they took care of. And we had to prepare them for that. Uh, we also had to prepare them for some of the, the, the changes, um, the cultural changes that, that, you know, are very different, you know, the, um, how to communicate to a patient, you know, um, things like, uh, you know, I, I should not be making eye contact with a female patient. I, I it, it's, there was differences in, in the way that there is cult, cultural norms. So we spent a lot of time and put a lot of energy in making sure that we, we prepared our staff for what they were going to experience. The biggest challenges you faced during the process, and also what were some of your biggest successes? So the challenges, I, I think, kind of go back to the fact that there was, you know, a ton of different agencies that were working together, and you know, so you're you're looking at the government side, you're also looking at the private side, and you're looking at the non-government organizations, and we all operate different. We all have different chains of command and org structures that we're used to dealing with. So one of the biggest challenges that, that I think we all faced was trying to figure out who was the right agency to deal with, <laughs> who was in charge, and then what's the best way to expedite getting things done. Because there's always well-intended individuals that may not follow the proper chain of command, that may not reach out to the, the appropriate person because they want to take a shortcut. And again, it's well, all well-intended, right? I want, I want to take care of uh, our patients as best we can. Um, so I, I may kind of skirt the normal um, process to, to expedite a request that I have. So I think our challenge was really kind of navigating the, the, the different agencies and making sure we had that consistent communication. And we did, you know, probably within the first week of, of having our first uh, patient arrive, we had daily calls with all the agencies involved. And, and you know, they could have been 10, 15 minute calls just to really deal with those those issues of the day, but lines of communication were, were, were really a challenge at times, to be honest with you. Successes, um, uh, tremendous successes. I and mean, I don't think we could be more proud of our team. Um, you know, we were dealing with, we we're still dealing with COVID and, and we were just experiencing the surge of the Delta variants when, when this, when this happened. So, uh, you know, we can't be more proud of our team, how they came together to take care of such a, a vulnerable population. Uh, but everything we did was really for the betterment of the patients and our, and our guests. We, we weren't calling them refugees. <laughs> we were calling them our guests from Afghanistan. And uh, they were tremendous successes in, in the way we were able to take care of their, their uh, religious needs, their dietary needs, their, their cultural needs. It was just a phenomenal coming together uh, of a lot of people in the organization to take care of that. Now, considering our nation will soon be welcoming thousands of refugees from Ukraine, um, what advice do you have for other healthcare security professionals tasked with assisting them? Yeah. Well, if, if there's going to be, a, first of all, if the hospital is close to a military base, like we knew that that McGuire, Dixon, Lakehurst uh, historically housed refugees, and, and you know it was one of the seven uh, that that housed refugees, and actually at one point that it was the, actually the largest. Um, number of, of refugees in New Jersey. I think it, it topped over 11,000 at one point. But early on, reach out to the military base, make those lines of communication open, identify the key players, 
um, identify the agencies that are going to be involved in a response, be very clear with the expectations uh, and the services that would be provided by the healthcare facility to the refugees. Um, security could certainly expect if there's going to be a surge or an increase in, in, in patients that their resources are going to be stressed. So we did bring in additional resources. We brought in at least one officer uh, additional per shift because of the volume of patients. But I would start today, you know, learning about all the cultural, anything from, from, from that you can learn about the culture. Uh, obviously, translation services, both for in Russian and Ukrainian, is going to be a big need. So we actually had to quadruple <laughs> the number of translation translation devices that we had available to our staff wow. uh, because of the influx. But I, I think you know, learning as much as you can about the culture. You know, again, religion, dietary needs, cultural norms. What is their typical uh, healthcare infrastructure? Um, and, and you know, in treating the our guests from Afghanistan, some of our emergency department physicians saw things that they've never seen before. And, and it was really interesting um, because there were some things that are, that, that are very normal in other societies that we may not always see in, in, you know, in the United States. So I think doing as much research as you can today um, to learn about their culture um, and as much lines of communication as you can open up, it, it's, it's paramount because you really don't want to meet somebody for the first time in a disaster. <laughs> you want to Absolutely reach out. To, not. Yeah, you want to reach out to folks when the skies are blue and it's sunny versus, you know, a, a bad day for everybody. So my first advice would be reach out to the base, see if the base is going to be a receiving location and then determine all those agencies, federal, state, local, um, private, as well as non-government organizations that are going to be involved and start meeting today. Start having that dialogue today. I would think for, you know, healthcare facilities and colleges and universities and maybe even K through 12 schools that are near a base, hopefully have those relationships developed already. Yes, I would hope, I would imagine because we're so interdependent upon each other today. I mean, we, it's, you know, the, the healthcare infrastructure, you know, we've been through a public health emergency the last three years. So we, we are tied into the first responder community. So, you know, those relationships um, have to remain strong. And what, any other recommendations, uh, advice you would give to other healthcare facilities who may be on the receiving end, maybe not, not just of Ukraine refugees, but maybe refugees from other parts of the world? Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, it's, it, depending upon where they're at with the response to COVID, I mean, everybody's being impacted different right now with COVID, but certainly look at their surge plans. Look at, look at their, their, the plans that they have to increase capacity within their campuses. Um, is there space that can be converted for ambulatory care or long-term care, whatever it may be? Um, I would certainly look at supplies, equipment, um, to, so you can have that realistic response, you know, and, and, and really determine what you can and cannot provide because we all get to the point where you go, no, we can't do anymore. <laughs> we don't have the bandwidth. So I think you have to, you know, kind of take the worst case scenario, look at it and see how, how prepared you are for that. And if, I gave you the example of the, the devices we use for translation. We're able to quickly do that, thank goodness. But um, I would start looking at those maybe gaps in the current program. Again, if it's supplies, if it's space, if it's equipment, if it's translation devices, um, 
the more that you can do that earlier on, the better prepared you'll be. I mean, that, that you get that phone call like we did saying that you're going to be the primary facility. And, and the other thing too, expect that if you're a healthcare facility that takes care of women and children, you're, you're going to be tapped to, to provide that service because um, most of the refugees that are going to be coming to the U.S. are going to be women and children. And they're going to need every service. It, it's not only emergent care. It's, it's primary care. It's, it's, it's the whole spectrum. Um, we saw um, our, our, a good share of behavioral health patients. And you can just imagine the trauma um, oh, yeah. they've, that they went through. So I, I don't think that was something we really anticipated early on. Mm. We, we really did not. And, and probably the, the, you know, the second or third day of receiving patients, we went, huh, you know what, this is something that we need to be more prepared for. Um, because, you know, you, one of our experiences, we, have a, we had a patient that was going to be admitted to our behavioral health facility and they have a translator and they have a military escort. Well, the military escort can't go into the unit with them. The translator had to go into the unit. So we had to prepare the civilian translator for the environment that they're going to be entering and had to be very clear with them as to what you can and cannot do in that environment. So just some things that we did not necessarily anticipate. Um, but you can, you know, healthcare facilities can, can pretty much expect that the services they provide today will be the services they'll provide to the refugees. Anything else you want to add about your experience with this? Probably a, a quote that one of my colleagues said, and I think I may have said it earlier about it, it takes a village to take care of a village. Um, this, this experience was not just our acute care facilities, it was everything. I mean, it was the whole continuum of, of what Virtua provides to our patients, we provided it to the refugees. So we went to them and provide services at times. They came to us as inpatients, as you know, emergency department. They, they went to our urgent cares to our outpatient radiology it was it was the full gamut so i just don't think that it's going to be your emergency department it's going to be everything and uh, but overall i think everybody that was involved we we have great pride knowing that we did the we did a really outstanding job of providing really compassionate care to people that really needed it paul thank you so much my pleasure thank you